Uh, did I tell you where we were going? Revelation chapter 22, verse number 17. When you got it, oh, there it is. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. <clears throat> and let him that is a thirst, come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. If you would, hug somebody and seat your own self peaceably in Jesus' name. Or shake hands with somebody. <clears throat> this is another one of those um, areas of Scripture and it is surprising to me to realize uh, that I'm not the only one. Um, and and uh, I have had a bunch of phone calls over the last several weeks, months even, and had conversations with people, uh, some of them preachers, some of them not preachers. And... Um, <clears throat> The days we live in are um, wildly uncertain. And we just never know from one day to the next what the next news broadcast is going to bring us. And um, why we've even had in the last couple of weeks, tremors have been sent among us from Republican Congress people that are retiring after this term. And everybody's wanting to know. What does that mean? And they called me and asked me, Brother Shelton, what, I don't know why they think I know, but here's what I'm telling them. That means there's a job opening in Congress. <laughs> That's all I can really tell you about all that. <clears throat> I do not keep up with politics. Uh, I think they're all pretty much the same shirt for today. Uh, I think all of that is what it is, and I think... Uh, the scripture is true, and the Lord sets up what he wants set up, and he takes down what he wants taken down. And to those who would say, well, I don't believe the Lord's involved in the political sphere of governance in the world, I would say to you, you're probably wrong, at least in my assessment, because there are decisions that have to be made by government leaders that will position societies uh, individually and then ultimately collectively into a one world government and someone has to make that call and the Lord knows uh, what people need to be in what offices in order to make the calls that are necessary to bring entire governments to a point that they're willing to lay down their individuality as a country and merge in, in all that they do with another country. If you've kept up at all with anything in the world, you've heard of the Brexit nations, uh, and they are forming a new one-world currency, and it is in competition to the American dollar. The American dollar has been backed, and uh, the amount of gold that we've had in reserves um, was what emboldened our dollar. But when other countries around the world decided we want our gold back and they started making a run on our 
uh, facilities and requiring us to return their gold. We were storing their gold and using it to back and support the dollar. When they start wanting their gold back, all of a sudden we don't have all the gold in the world stacked up here in the U.S. And so then oil becomes the deal and there are other countries that are pulling their resources and trying to compete with the U.S. dollar to be the world currency. And it doesn't mean that everybody will use their currency, but it does mean that the U.S. dollar will not be the king of the mountain anymore. And then colliding with all of that is the news and the development of the digital money and the monetary system that is uh, using digital approach to everything that we do. And then that seems cool at first, you know, and they present it like it's a great investment. And if you want to get in on this, uh, you, you're going to want to buy Bitcoin. And then what they don't tell people up front is, in the advertisements is, you have a number for your Bitcoin account. You alone have that number. Bitcoin account is gone. Nobody else can access it, nobody can hack it, and nobody can override it. So Bitcoin currency uh, became one of those deals that it's a great investment. Let's all buy Bitcoin. Uh, before Bitcoin, during uh, the Middle East conflict a few years ago, uh, the Iraqi dinar plummeted in value. And uh, everybody that seemed to have any sense about things said, buy Iraqi dinar because the world is going to come together <clears throat> and they are going to back Iraq and they are going to help them return to prominence and their money will be worth uh, great amounts once again. So while it's worth pennies on the dollar, buy tons of it. And I know people that bought uh, individuals who bought several hundred thousand dollars worth of Iraqi dinar uh, paid several hundred U.S. thousand dollars for Iraqi dinar, millions of, of Iraqi dinar. Uh, because they had some fantasy that when that report uh, came to pass and the Iraqi dinar uh, returned to prominence, their investment was going to be worth hundreds of millions of U.S. dollars. And here we are 20 years later and they're still sitting around holding that worthless Iraqi dinar. And there's a lot of things that have happened in the condition to all of us. Uh, Bitcoin uh, made its big splash and then uh, then uh, there were an untold number, I'm not an expert on it, but there was just a plethora of other options similar to Bitcoin. You can invest in this and you can invest in that. But it was the enemy's ploy, in my opinion, to get us comfortable with digitizing our money. There's now a bank in New York that is going to digital money. And then there's um, movement in Congress and they're wanting to pass into law, if they hadn't already, I haven't read up about it lately, but they're wanting to pass into law that um, everything um, like PayPal and Apple Pay and Venmo and whatever all else, um, all of that now becomes trackable and everything's going to be digitized. And the reason they want to do that is because they have somehow figured out and ascertained some number that they believe is fairly accurate of U.S. currency that exchanges hands on a daily basis, cash money, and it's not reported. And if it's not being reported, it's not being taxed. And so they want to tax every dollar they can get their hands on. So 
we're going to create a problem, and then we've already got a solution over here. And so, bear with me, back during the World Trade Center situation in 9-11, we put into motion legislation that allowed us to pass uh, the Patriot Act, and Homeland Security uh, came alive, and <clears throat> we we were willing to give up, and, and I, we can debate this all you want to, uh, Homeland Security and the Patriot Act and all of this stuff, uh, it limited things like how much money you could carry at one time. Uh, it limited how much cash you could deposit in the bank without raising a red flag. And they did it back then under the guise of our security because, after all, everybody knows that the terrorists are using cash. And it's probably derived from some illegal and nefarious activities and drug sales and whatnot. So they're taking copious amounts of cash, going to the bank, depositing it. So through the Patriot Act, for your good and your security, we're going to make it so that we know every dime over $5,000 or 6000 whatever it is, that comes into the bank, we're going to know where it goes. And we're going to know who deposited it. And we're doing that for your safety. And little by incremental little, they have eroded the fabric of our freedoms in this country. To the point now, when you look around, this world does not look like it did. I'm 55, and that's not old. But at 55... This country does not look like it did 30 years ago when I was 25, and it definitely don't look like it did 40 years ago when I was 15. If in 1986, when I graduated from high school, in 1986, if they had stopped everything and leapfrogged ahead to this time and brought the, the current national situation that we have now back to 1986 and told us in 1986 that gas was going to go from 82 cents a gallon to $4.82. We'd have just fell over sideways. Um, If they had told us that diesel, the trash fuel of the world, is going to go from 42 cents a gallon to costing more than gasoline, we wouldn't have believed that either. Um, If they had told us that milk was going to go from the price it was to the price it is, we wouldn't have believed that. If they had told us everybody's going to have a phone on their hip, their pocket, or wrist, we wouldn't have believed that either. If they had told us that 80% of the world scientists were going to yet be alive right now, we wouldn't have believed that either. But the world has changed quickly, and it's changed profoundly, but they've done it gradually. Forty years, I'm finding out, is not that long. Eliana was born yesterday. She's 13 today. I'm in my arms yesterday, and he'll be seven in March. I don't know how that happened. I was a robust 18-year-old two days ago. Not sure how this happened. But I've watched reflectively, when you look back, where we were when I was a teenager to where we are now. And people that are older than I am can look back even further in time and see where we were when you were a teenager. And if you took your teenage years and compared them to mine, what a shocker that was. And if you took your teenage years, if you're in your 70s, and and you look back to your teenage years and compare it to today, what an absolute mind-numbing shocker that is. 
You ever hear that old phrase, if it's not broke, don't fix it? Now, in Arkansas, we say ain't. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. But from what I can tell, our economic situation was doing pretty good in 1986. I personally enjoyed 80-something cent a gallon gas. Y'all don't even know what that looks like, do you? That sounds like a lie, don't it? Well, before me, it was cheaper than that. Ask some of these elders in here. They know. I remember when they made cars that wasn't so highfalutin. We could go out here to some of these old ideas. Oh. Casing head, they, they'd call it a drip. And that casing head would be, it was, it was like a gas that would come off of that wellhead. And when you're pumping oil, a lot of them times, they, there would be some that would produce that casing head. Well, it was like, it, basically it was diesel straight out of the, the oil well. And so they would, those pumpers would put a line on it sometime, and they'd run it down a hill somewhere, and they'd have what they called a drip. Kind of like running moonshine. Uh, but we, we ran them casing head drips all the time. And everybody down in the country had, we had, you drive by all our houses. And back then, a status symbol was how many 55-gallon drums you had behind the shed. You had a lot of fuel. If you had six drums, 55-gallon drums, that ain't a burning barrel. What are you talking about? That is casing head. And everybody had one of them hand crank pumps on that. You just screwed in that top big bunghole, and you just pumped the fire out of that right in your truck. And had to buy gas. Those were good days. But now we've got so much mess on a car, it wouldn't burn casing head three feet. The world has changed. And it's the man. The man's doing that. He wanted that tax money off that gasoline. <clears throat> but everything has changed. It's changed quickly, but it's done it gradually. When you look at the grand scheme of life, the scripture calls gone tomorrow. We think we've got forever, but we don't. And I'm telling you, I kid you not, the older I get, and people that are older than me can attest to this, I suspect. Uh, but to me, it seems like the calendar flips faster and the clock ticks more rapidly than it ever did before. You wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning, and before you know it, it's time to go to bed at midnight. What in the wide world? I just got up. It seems like the days go by faster, and I'll do that next week. And when I said that was three weeks ago. Where does the time go? I have no idea, but it's getting there quick. But the enemy knows that the stage of the world has got to be set. Back during the Kennedy administration, they realized that things had to change. And the need for a one-world government up to that point, they were trying to achieve it with war. And there was a panel that was uh, put together and a commission that was uh, structured and uh, I've got a copy of the report. A lot of it's blacked out, but <clears throat> most of it is, you can read most of it, but some of it's been redacted. But I don't even remember where I, who gave me this copy. But anyway, uh, it's called the Report from Iron Mountain, or Stone Mountain. But, and try to figure out what would have to happen uh, to replace war as a motivation to bring the world under a one-world government. Because they realized that the world, we'd been through two world wars, the Korean War, um, and, 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 and Vietnam, and Lord help us, we, we'd been battling for decades. And just about the time that we get one thing resolved, something else would flare up, 
and here we go again, and the Great Depression, and some of you may have been around during the days where you had to have coupons to go get gas, and you had to, you, you only got so much gas a week or a month, and you could only get so much bread a week or a month, and all of this stuff. And so the world leaders knew that there's coming a point that the normal everyday human being is not going to continue to fall into line behind the drumbeat of war. We're going to have to have something else uh, that causes people as a human race to fall into line. Because even though war depleted populations, it allowed them to do ethnic purging and, and all kind of uh, community purgings. And they, they eradicated entire nations of, and groups of peoples. They selected who they did and didn't want and caused a war. So they knew that this isn't going to continue to be a viable option. we got to come up with something else. And so they, uh, they put this commission together, and they went and, and began to brainstorm for a period of time. And when they came back, they came back um, with the revelation that the best way to unite the world as a human race now, we went past nations and individuality. Now, we're trying to unite the world as a human race. We are all one people, which I'm on board with that. That's fine. But I do believe God created us all equally, but their purpose was not a moral purpose, and, and their goal was not honorable. Uh, they were trying to figure out how to get us to line up and everybody march to the same beat so one governing body could rule the world and one person could be in charge of it all. And the question may be in somebody's mind, well, why would anybody want that? Well, because Scripture's got to be fulfilled. And the Antichrist has to have a place to come to. And the world system has got to be prepared for him when he gets here. It can't be something that he shows up on the scene and then goes to work on. The world is going to have to be in enough of a mess that they are willing to embrace the Antichrist. The one that shows up on the scene and says, I have the answer to every problem you as a world have. And in order for me, though, to be able to do that, I'm going to need something from you. What? Full submission. I need you to give up your inalienable rights. I need you to relinquish your Second Amendment. I need you to relinquish your First Amendment. I need you to fall into line. If I'm going to save you, you're going to have to do this my way. And it's amazing to me how similar that sounds to the Lord saying, I can be your Savior, but you're going to have to follow a divine plan of salvation. You're going to have to submit to that. And it's a shocker to me to realize how many of us in the church do not want to submit to the Word of God and line up with what the Word says. But in that day when uh, fear is the driving motive, we're going to be willing to give up everything. Well, I won't. Yes, we will. COVID proved that. <clears throat> we, we wore masks because they told us to, not because we were afraid and that alone. They used fear to get us compliant. I'm not even going to get into whether or not I thought COVID was a real deal. Obviously, it was. I've had it three times. But my doctor told me not long ago, he said, there's no difference between COVID and the flu. It's just a, strain, a different strain of basically the same virus. And said, this is a camel, and we believed it. <clears throat> People were dying with the flu at the same rate they were dying with COVID. But nobody wanted to talk about it. 
Why would they do something like that? Because the enemy has a strategy. The enemy's got a plan. He's got an agenda, and at some point in time, he wants this whole world under his thumb, and he's going to use one, one human figure to lead the world with. But to get us to that point, you and I have got to lose the desire to have our own individuality. But we don't pray for God to do some things. We pray for God to do other things. We prayed during COVID, God save us from COVID, save us from COVID, save us from COVID. We prayed during uh, the depression, God save us from hunger. We, we prayed during one war after the next, God save us from this and save us from that. And yet all of it has prevented us from being willing and, and, and aware enough to pray another prayer that we are going to pray at some point in time. When they come back from this, this clandestine meeting and they've had all of this, they produce this report from Iron Mountain or Stone Mountain, I can't remember which it is. And they come back and they surrender to the Kennedy administration, this is our recommendation. Because the world is so fatigued to bring uh, entire nations into alignment with one another, because a war can be resolved and, and one nation can defend itself, we need something that's going to require everybody doing the same thing everywhere around the world. Okay, what is that? The environment. Well, <clears throat> the report says, and if I can find it, you can read it. The report says... Allow big corporations to pollute at rampant levels. Do not impose restraints or restrictions on them. They'd already found out that they were releasing all kind of pollutions into the atmosphere and the ground and the water systems and salmon in rivers in North America were disappearing and one animal species after another was becoming endangered and all of it could literally be tied back to pollution and, and waste that's being buried in the ground. And this is also during the time that we really got hopped up on nuclear energy and we just let them just put that in a 55-gallon drum with a plastic liner in it and bury it in a cave somewhere. Find an old mine somewhere and forget about the fact that a water source runs through, an underground river runs through. They just don't even worry about it. Let it all pile up and get terrible. And then the report says, when the world is in a desperate condition, step onto the scene with an agency that will already be prepared, that will stand out as the leader. And environmental drum, we have to save our environment. For who? I'm going to be dead in 20 years. Yes, but your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. Nobody wants to see their children hungry. Nobody wants to see their children poisoned by toxins in the ground. So guess what we did? We allowed, I believe it was Lyndon Johnson came along at some point in time and established the EPA and now we gave up the right to dig a ditch in our own backyard and now the county can come in and tell you there's a particular frog that was seen here in 1384 and he might show back up tomorrow. You cannot dig that ditch on this side of your yard. You got to get a permit in most states and most counties and especially in city limits to even sneeze on Thursday. What in the wide world? But we gave it up. You can't go out in just any random creek and pile up a bunch of rocks. If somebody that loves the EPA sees that, they're going to go call somebody. You, what are you doing out here? I'm building a pond. Well, you can't dam up the water. It's going to be a spillway. The water's still got same volume. It's just going to come through my little. You can't do that. Who said? The EPA. Are y'all picking up what I'm putting down? We have 
Brother Shelton, are you an anarchist? No. I do think they're all dumber than a box of rocks, but whatever. <clears throat> but we've allowed all of that to happen. You got to get a permit to do anything. Hunting is now not something you do to feed your family. You pay $85,000 a pound for a piece of beef. Well, I'd shoot a squirrel out there in the backyard. No, he's out of season. I pay taxes on that squirrel. I can shoot him if I want to. You better knock somebody, hear that gun go off, they're going to call a popo, and then you're going to have to explain what you're out here shooting. That's a nuisance animal. They're like rats. They're everywhere. But, boy, well, you can make some good squirrel milk. Hallelujah. Some good squirrel mulligan with some cathead biscuits and mm. But we've we have given up incrementally our rights to do a lot of things. And yet still we are not ready to pray certain prayers. We we see control being exercised over us. At a level, Bishop, I, I, I never in my wildest dreams would have thought. There was a day that people were so glad to have a job that they were kind and customer service was a real deal. Hey, that train left the station. <laughs> I run through the great Burger King on today. Ordered me one biscuit. Or croissant. Got a croissant which. Why can't you just make a biscuit? Got to be different. Ordered a croissant which. Sausage, egg, and cheese croissant. And I pull up and she's on my left ear. She didn't know I can't hear out of that one real good. So I didn't get highly offended at her. But she's asking me some kind of bird brain question. And I, I just looked at her and nodded. Anybody in here besides me a little hard of hearing, at least in one ear? Do you find yourself just nodding at humanity? They may be talking trash about you. You, you don't know. You just Now, you say that on this side, I may knock you unconscious. But if you talk over here, we'll be all right. <laughs> so she's on that side. I didn't know what she was saying. I just nodded at her. And she run her head out there like a goose. The name on the order, please. My inner ninja woke up. I'm on my way to the house of God, and I'm just about to get out of here and wing whoop her like a chicken. Come run up in here talking about screaming. The Whoo. I said, well, as a matter of fact, it's Scott. Could you pull up to the next window? No. For one biscuit? No. Y'all ain't got a biscuit cup. It is my prayer that Jesus does not come while I am yet in the drive-through somewhere. <laughs> He's coming. I got The closer we get to it, I'm just gonna have to eat a sandwich at the house and not go back through no more drive-throughs. Then my wife would have been in there. She was God. They're gonna spit on it. I thought about that today, <laughs> but that's why we say the blessing over what we eat. Just sanctify it. <laughs> Turn it into ketchup. Things have changed. You don't, you don't pull up and 
put your car in park now without keeping the doors locked. I remember going to bed at night and we didn't lock all our doors. We didn't have automatic door locks on the cars. Put that thing in reverse or whatever, and cloom, it's like you lock down on some black site somewhere. You pull up and you put them and you can select whether you hit the button one time and they recommend set it so that only the driver's side door opens. You don't want somebody getting in with bad intentions on the other side. Got a family member that got in a car at the great convenience store and got set down and when she shut her door, a fellow was getting in on the other side. Thank God we're still free. She just reached down in the side pocket of that door and thumb cocked it, pointed at him, said, I'm going to the house and you're getting out now. <laughs> he did. Compliance. I'm all about it. But we have, we have been manipulated incrementally by the adversary. Not because God's unaware or the Lord's asleep on the job. Because all of this fits a great plan. He wants to spend eternity with his bride. All of this is about getting the bride back to the place it was with him in the garden. I want time with you. I, I don't want to be here and you there as just my creation and serving me. I want you here in the place that I, 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 if, I if I go not away, I got to leave here to go prepare a place for you to come. That's what it's always been about. But when you read that verse of Scripture, only one of us in that equation is saying, come. Not long ago, the Lord took me to that verse and he said, just read it. Just read it for what it is right there. The Spirit and the bride say, come. He said, at this point in time, I'm the only one praying that and saying that and thinking that. You still want the best life you can have right where you are right now. You, you don't ask me to take you out of here. You ask me to fix here. We, we don't pray when we less than 2% of all of us in this room pull up to a gas pump, which I did painfully yesterday, pull up to the gas pump and get out and look at it and think, oh, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. No, I don't. I get out and I'm thinking, my God in heaven, we got to get somebody elected back in the White House that will bring the price of gas back. Why? Why would I want this world to be better so I could enjoy being here longer? I really am not living for him to stay here. I'm living for him to get out of here. I want to go to heaven. I want to go to heaven. I don't just want to be saved. I want to go to heaven. And I don't care if that's before I get through with my next sentence or next week. I want to go to heaven. If I ask, and I do this from time to time, you go into just any uh, church and you say, just right off the cuff, walk to the pulpit, catch everybody kind of off guard and say, everybody in here that's a little bit afraid of dying, just wave at me. And, and it'll be 70 plus percent of the people in that room will hold their hand up, I'm a little bit afraid of dying. Nobody gets a negative report from the doctor and just goes to hucking and bucking and shouting, thinking, oh, 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 I've got 60 days, baby, and I'm out of here. 60 more days and this race will be won. 60 more days and I will have finished my course. 60 more days and I will have achieved what, no, we don't. We immediately run for prayer. I need you to pray the prayer of faith. I need you to anoint me with oil. And I'm for that. I get that. I want to be healed. If I'm going to be here, I'd love to be healed. But ultimately, if he chooses to take me out, what is the downside to that? If I'm not worshiping here, like I said this morning, I'm going to be doing it over there. 
We're not ready to go to heaven. We all want to go. But I'll guarantee you less than 2% of us have prayed even on today. Lord, if you could, just come get me today. Lord, is this the day? I'd like to know if anybody in here, I, I really would. I want to talk to you because I want to know the secret to get into that place of peace that we wake up every morning. And as we sit at our favorite place in the home and drink coffee, I can't imagine not drinking coffee anywhere in the house, but you go to your favorite chair with a hot cup of your favorite coffee, Folgers, Classic Roast, hallelujah, and <clears throat> I don't need all that frou-frou, just give me some Folgers in your cup, uh, hallelujah, and it'll help you wake up, and so I don't, I don't, I, I get to talking about it, my strength comes over me, I just, but nobody got up this morning with a hot cup of coffee on the grand scheme of things, and, and prayed probably, Lord, is it possible this could be my last cup? I'd, if I can't go to heaven from a pulpit, I'd love to go to heaven with a mouthful of coffee. Just take a little sip for the journey. Just, I don't know if they're going to have it over there, so I want to take a little with me and just enjoy it on the way. He's going to take us in the twinkling of an eye, but I don't know. That's how fast we're leaving here. I don't know how long the trip's going to be. So I don't want to go while I'm on a fast. I don't want to leave here hungry. I want to leave on a full stomach. <clears throat> but did, I, did, I did not wake up this morning and say, Lord, could you let today be the day? Lord, I'm, I'm so sick of high gas prices. Lord, I'm so sick of this and I'm so sick of that. I'm, I'm tired of the immorality. And I'm, I'm tired of the rampant sin everywhere. I'm tired of the fighting. I'm tired of the confusion in the world. I'm, I'm just, Lord, I am, I'm tired of bad headlines. I'm tired of depressing news. I'm, I didn't wake up and say that. I woke up this morning and asked the Lord, Lord, would you bless me on today? Lord, I pray your blessings be upon me and my family. And I have no problem praying that. I didn't feel convicted about praying it, but I'm wondering what is it in me that hadn't flipped over yet? What switch has not been flipped yet that I'm still not to the place that I'm ready to pray, but even so, Lord, I pray you bless my family. Give us health in our bodies. Give my kids strength. Lord, cover Jennifer and them today in church in Fort Smith and Lord, all of that. But even so, Lord, with all that I've asked you and all that I've prayed and all that I've spoken over my family, I'm asking you, if it fits your plan at all, would you come on back and get us today? I don't, I don't necessarily need my children to see 14, but I do need them to see heaven. I don't need them to see adulthood and a wedding, but I do need them to see eternity embraced by you. I, I want them to be in your presence. I didn't pray that. I'm telling you, I did not pray that today. From time to time, Brother Beecher, I do. Occasionally, a desperation will get a hold of me, and I pray like that. But it's not something that abides with me on a daily basis. And, and I had to come to a realization recently. But the Lord woke me up to it. I read that verse and some others one day, and sitting in my office at home, everybody was gone. I was there by myself. And the Lord said, you, you really do believe that I'm coming, don't you? Oh, yeah. Lord, I'm dialed in on that. I believe it. I am firmly committed to that. He said, but you have always believed and hoped that it wouldn't be in your lifetime. Now, that seems like an 
just a shallow observation, really. But it was so profoundly impactful to me because I began to do some, I got to tell you something. I, I don't know about 2020 anymore. We're not there now and the great corona and all this. I'm just telling you about this year. Something, something about me is different. I, I pray less. I'm going to be honest with y'all. I pray less for you and everybody else I know than I do myself. Up to this point, Brother Williams, I think I was consumed with praying for everybody. All my people on my friends list, I, I pray for everybody. But I, I, have, I, I now pray more for me than I do you, Brother Beecher. I love you. I want you to be saved. But I'm going to be saved. I, can't, I, don't, I don't know what you're going to do. I am going out of here with him. And, and I found out that if, if I'm going to be saved, I've got to spend time looking. And when I say praying about for me, I mean about me. Not, Lord, bless me, give me new shoes, new suit, new tie. Lord, give me this. I'm not talking about that kind of praying. I'm talking about Davidic prayers where I am introspective. Lord, what do you see in me? Lord, if you look here and you see in me any wicked way, Please let me know what it is. Lord, if I have become rebellious and learned how to justify it and no longer even acknowledge that I'm being rebellious, would you please sound an alarm? Send somebody by. Let my pastor call me. Let one of my friends call me and tell me, you, you've got an attitude problem. Lord, don't let me be lost. Send, send somebody. If it's a mule that's got to turn around and talk to me, say something to me. God, help me. If, I, if there's any impurity here, Get it out of me. I can't be a good husband if I'm not right with God. I can't be a good father if I'm not right with God. If I don't have his righteousness, I'm no good to anybody else. And I had to come to terms with the fact that I'd been consumed with praying about everybody else. Lord, save the world. Save the world, my eye. I'm part of the world. I want to be saved. You don't have a burden for anybody else? Yes. But I got to save myself from this untoward generation. The world system's doing what it's doing. The plan of God is doing what it's doing. Hell's plan is doing what it's doing. And in the middle of all of that, I cannot get consumed with all of that and caught up day of my life. I can't get to the point that I know the rapture's coming but secretly minister to you and everybody else from the position that I hope it don't come now. I'm a preacher, so I feel like I can say this from some informed capacity. But I know a lot of preachers, Brother Burke, you do too, that ministry is just a job. I, I was on the fire department for a little while. And to me, it was an adventure. It was kind of cool to go to all that training and learn how to turn that fire hose on a wide-angle fog right out of that nozzle. And it creates almost pure oxygen right behind it, that water does. And if you lose your breathing apparatus in a fire, you can just get right your face right up behind that, that wide angle of, of water. And it's fresh air there. You can breathe it. And, uh, man, it was fun um, pulling up to a structure and putting it out. I, just the thrill of, uh, especially when you were able to put it out before someone's home was lost. And it was, it, was, it was exciting, it was exhilarating, the thrill of it, you know. And I realize we're, we're talking about a human tragedy because somebody's losing everything. 
but it changed for me. The first night I had to go into a house that was on fire and the parents of a guy that I had grown up with, it was their home, beautiful, big old house. And the bedroom wing of the house had windows that were about 12, 14 inches wide. And he was a pretty healthy fella. And she was blessed as well. And they couldn't get out those windows. I, my God, I couldn't. We'd already had all the power cut to the house. It was pitch black in there. The only thing you could see was flames. And where the fire had started coming down through the ceiling in different places, they had a sunken den. It was already about 10 inches deep in water. And I'm going through with a hose, and my friend's got a hose, and we're, we're trying to find uh, these people. And we finally get back in the bedroom wing where they were, and <clears throat> he's, he's trying to get out that window. He, he's trying to break through that window to get out of it. And I finally had to grab this man, my elder, a man that I had known since I was just a child, and I've known him my whole life. And, and I finally had to grab him by his T-shirt and shake him and, and scream his last name, Calhoun. Mr. Calhoun, listen to me. And get right up in his face because it was so dark, he could, you couldn't see two feet in front of you. And I knew in that moment this, this wasn't a game anymore. This was no longer just a job. This wasn't something that was fun to me anymore. And, and I had to tell him, if you don't listen to me, you are going to die in your own house. Listen to what I'm telling you. We gave them, he and his wife got the oxygen tanks, and we turned those hoses where we could breathe behind them. And you, you, you hook your hand in this loop on the back of my turnout jacket, and Miss Calhoun, you hook yours in his belt, and, and you follow us, and don't you turn loose. And my friend's going to be coming behind you, and he's going to be spraying over, and I'm going to be spraying ahead, and we're going to follow this hose out of here, and the people that are going to get us out are waiting out there but we've got to get out of this fire now. And I'm talking about it was blistering the backs of our hands and our necks, and we had to get out. And in that moment, Brother Beecher, it was no longer just a job. All of a sudden, I knew I had taken on the responsibility of reaching for people before eternity had a chance to get them. And then a few months later, that reality went to a whole other level when we got a call to a house trailer, and those things burn fast usually, and especially if a wind is blowing in the right direction and blowing the flame toward the rest of the structure. And we got a call about 1 o'clock in the morning. And again, it was a small community. Everybody pretty much knew everybody. And when we heard on the radios where it was to, my heart just kind of sunk. And we got out there, and the short story is <clears throat> there had been a gas leak in the house. And uh, while they were gone to a wedding rehearsal, and that gas being heavier than air had settled down into the ductwork under the trailer. And when they got home and began to move around in the house for a few minutes, she told him, she said, I'm cold. He said, well, go in the hall there and kick the heater on. I think I turned it off before we left. And that gas had come up about stat, was right next to the unit in the hallway. They, they moved it as a result of that and other situations like it. Uh, and now the thermostat is not located right by the unit and, and the furnace there. And when she moved that thermostat and that mercury moved and it sparked it ignited that gas and blew her to pieces blew her in half i found her it was about six o'clock in the morning the sun starting to come up everywhere we'd been spraying water that there wasn't fire it was freezing it was frigid cold and uh, i had to stand a, a straddle of her body her remains and put that hose on a fog and just drizzle it over her until she had cooled down enough 
to be put into that body bag and taken uh, to the coroner's office. And all of a sudden in that day, it became even more uh, aware in my mind that this was not something fun to do. It wasn't, it wasn't cool to be on the fire department. It wasn't all that cool to have a red light on the hood of my truck. It wasn't, I didn't really like it as much as I thought I would. And I began to have my doubts about it. And then when we found a young man that I knew by the name of Travis a few months later that hit a bridge railing and, and flipped his car over into a creek and was there for almost 20 hours before anybody knew where he was. And we pulled him out and, and the condition he was in, I won't get into all that, but the point I'm making to you is I knew in those moments that th this is not just, this isn't a career path, doable. Somebody's life is on the balance here. And, and in some cases, somebody's life has already been extinguished. And then I get into the ministry and, and I already had now this mentality that we're not, we're not playing with a temporal world. We're talking about eternity. Everything that we deal with is eternal. Everybody is everybody that you know is going to spend eternity somewhere. But our passion to reach them has not reached its zenith. We are not yet as compassionate about the lost as we need to be. And, and you wonder sometimes, I begin to wonder, why are things getting worse and worse? Because the church is still not praying a prayer that we are going to have to pray before Jesus comes. Even so, come quickly. We're, we're praying, Lord, don't come yet. I've still got family that are not saved, but my focus is beginning to shift. I don't know about yours, but at my house, my focus has begun to shift. I'm not thinking as much about my unsaved family anymore as I used to. My focus now is, oh God, don't, don't tarry until those in my family who are saved end up lost. I'm just being honest with you. There, there has been... Multiple years, two decades, I know that my prayer has been about my backslidden family member here or my backslidden family member there or uh, I've got this one over here and, and I have begun to notice some things about me. I'm, I'm overlooking people that are already been brought into the Father's house. I, I began to realize that I wasn't giving the attention to those who were already sitting around the table with me that I needed to. And I wasn't being as prayerful about my children as I might should have been. And maybe, maybe I didn't even pay attention really to what they were watching on an iPad or looking at on an iPhone because they've got the Holy Ghost and I, I baptized my two daughters and I was there when they talked in tongues. I know they're saved, but maybe, maybe I'm seeing myself now change a little bit to realize that if they're going to stay saved, I've got to be more vigilant about what I'm doing. And I can't be more vigilant if I'm letting things in my own life. So yes, this year I prayed a whole lot about me and my eternal condition. I've, I've done a whole lot of thinking and focusing on what I'm doing and how I'm living and what I'm thinking about and what I'm watching and what I'm listening to. I want the whole 8 billion people in the world to be saved. They're not going to be, but I wish they were. But I don't want the saved people at my house to be lost because I didn't have the right perspective and I wasn't in alignment. I'm getting to the place, Brother Burke, where I pray less about God fix this world and more about God, please just get us out of it. When COVID came around, I may have told you this before. Forgive me if I have. I repeat stuff nowadays. 
<laughs> you young people just laugh all you want to. You will too. Y'all ought to be the ones that are really praying for the Lord to come quickly. <clears throat> so you don't live old enough to be old. My wife said something to me the other day. She said, I probably ought to hush my mouth and go to my seat. But she said, do you, you think you might be up for one more child? I said, what, what are we talking about here? Is this like a hypothetical deal? Is this a test? I said, I don't know. About that time, friends of ours came by with a baby, and I just got to holding that baby, and I looked at her. I said, yeah, I could do this again. But I, I don't want to. I mean, I'll, I'll do whatever the Lord says, but there comes a point, I, I don't want to be on a walker with my youngest child. I don't want to be buying diapers for both of us. So y'all pray. <clears throat> but I want to go to heaven. And I get, I get sometimes, I get more desperate than I do at other times. When I see preachers who are not concerned about eternity, yeah, I am. What are we doing about it? Well, Shelton, I'm concerned about eternity. How so? I don't understand pastors who have no burden, no, no sense of responsibility. For their communities. I don't understand families who won't pray for one another. I don't understand getting together and being afraid to talk to somebody you love about eternity. Well, I don't want to offend them. They're going to be really offended in hell if we don't say something while they've got a chance to make a difference. And they're going to scream at you in eternity and say, how many family gatherings did I have to come to and you still would not talk to me about my soul? How can a pastor not weep for days on end for a city? How can the saints of God come to church and enjoy all that we have all around the world come empty-handed week after week after week. Well, I, I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm just trying to draw a distinction to you. We are not yet desperate to get out of here. We think we've got all the time in the world and that God will draw people into the kingdom. We're hoping, we're begging, we're banking on it. Before we hear the words, enter thou in, thou good and faithful servant, well done. There's going to be an accounting given. I am going to have to account for every idle word, every word of witness that I didn't speak to anybody. I had a preacher say to me one time, he said, I want you to come. Nobody wants to come to church anymore. I said, then I'm not coming. Well, our people need a word from God, not the one I'm going to bring them. 
They're not going to like what, if that's the way you feel about it, what have I got to say to you? Those people outside those doors are dying for us to say something to them. My wife and kids and I went in Cheddar's restaurant in Fort Smith a month or so ago. This young woman come to our table and was going to be our waitress. And <clears throat> it had been a long day. I'd been traveling, got in, and we, I said, you know what, let's let somebody else cook and clean tonight. <laughs> Y'all ain't never said that, but at my house we say that from time to time. And the good woman, can you believe the good woman was right on board with that? She said, sounds good to me. So we ended up at Cheddar's. I, I kind of wanted some of that Key West chicken and shrimp and uh, broccoli casserole, praise his name, two helpings of that, hallelujah. And I, had, I prefer to eat at home. Uh, but there was something that just, I, I couldn't get away from it. I knew we were supposed to go somewhere, and then the Lord said, I want you to go to Cheddar's. So we ended up at Cheddar's. And this young woman comes to our table and... <clears throat> she's she's getting drink orders and do y'all want some chips and salsa? Yes, praise his name. And and so all of that's going along and she comes back and she brings silverware. And she said, uh, your drinks will be ready in just a moment. And <clears throat> then she leaves again and she comes back with the chips and salsa. And she said, I'm going back for your drinks right now. And she comes back with our drink orders, which was all water, except for my good wife. She had to have a little Diet Coke. And uh, that's her drink of choice, and she had needed a fix, and so she got it. And so she comes back with mine and the kids' water with lemon and the good woman's Diet Coke, and I'm, I'm just minding my own business and making sure Malachi don't bathe in his water and Erica don't drink all of hers in one gulp, and Patrick, you've got yours, and Eliana, here's yours, and yes, you can have my lemon, and, and, and I, I look up to say, can you bring me a bowl of lemons? And I hear her say to my wife, do you mind if I ask you a question? And my wife is just a little chatty Kathy sometimes. She said, no, what is it? She said, um, where do you buy your clothes and your daughter's clothes? I thought, now this is strange coming from you. She didn't look like she'd ever even thought about clothes. Barely put any on to come to work. We've just moved here from Colorado, and we sold everything. She said, I'm wearing just, just what I didn't sell, and I'm not comfortable in what I'm wearing. I'm not modest, and I want to be modest. And you and your daughters look modest to me and there's something about y'all that I can't get away from I'm so glad you're in my section tonight she said I have two or three daughters and I can't remember I think it was three and she said I want them to look like your daughters do and I want our family to feel like your family does my husband and I are not comfortable with the direction our society's going and she said you can look at me and tell that I haven't always felt this way she said, but something has changed in the world. And I am very concerned about me and my family being saved. And we believe that nobody wants what we've got. Maybe they don't know where this building is, but if we can go where they are, let your light so shine before men 
And in just a few minutes, my wife began to tell her all the places that she shopped and bought stuff from. And, and then she comes back in a minute and brings fresh chips. And the good thing about uh, being a good witness is sometimes they just uh, just bestow gifts upon you, like extra salsa and queso and whatnot. And so, my Lord God, she, and it may have just been leftover. I don't know, but she was loading the brother up. And I'm thinking, keep witnessing, baby. I've got this over here covered. <laughs> Somebody had to drive home. I had to keep my strength up. And in a minute, they got to school situations. And, well, where do you live? And she said, we live in Mulberry. And we said, well, we live at Alma. Really? I drive right through there. Every, uh, yes, we know. We used to live in Mulberry. Really? Yes. Well, where do your, your kids go to school? We homeschool. Do you really? I, my husband and I homeschool our kids. Why do you homeschool your kids? Because I want them to have a godly environment. We, we want them to grow up with a, with a biblically-based education, and, and we, don't, we don't like what we're seeing trending in the public schools. I, I'm telling you, it, it, it's, it's amazing and astounding how hungry the people around you really are for him. What's it going to take for us to stop praying for our best life now? Oh, I know little Joel Osteen done run out of them and wrote that book. Some of y'all got it in your little libraries. Throw it away. This isn't my best life. This life has very little, it has less interest for me now than it ever has. I want to go to heaven my entire life. Why is the world's situation getting worse and darker? And if you're hoping for Mayberry's return, it will be worse and worse. But he also said in the last days, I'm going to pour my spirit out on all flesh. The question is, what's he going to pour it out of? Us. How can he pour his spirit out of a selfish vessel? When everything I'm praying about is me, mine, and mine. Oh, God, help me be right, but use me in your kingdom. I want to take somebody to heaven with me, but I got to go. I got to go. I got to be saved. Somewhere along the way, our prayer is going to become less about my unsaved family and more desperate for my saved families. I don't want my children to be lost. The world will not get better. According to Scripture, it's going to continue to get worse. Men will grow worse, wax worse and worse, is what the Scripture says. Why? Why can't it just be us riding the wave, man, and just be everything great? Because the bride still don't want to go home. We don't rejoice. We weep and moan and groan. And I'm, I'm right there with you. I mean, I do too. Something's going to change. Those of us that get a healthy report are going to start feeling cheated someday. For those that get told, there's nothing we can do for you. The translation of that in those days will be, you mean to tell me that there's nothing this world can do to keep me back anymore? Yes. You mean to tell me that no matter what my kids and my family members want me to do medically, nothing I do is going to keep me earthbound? Is that what you're telling me? Yes, that's what I'm telling you. 
I'll be right back. Where are you going? I'm going to run up and down the aisles of this hallway right here. I got to get outside and dance a minute. Why? Because I've been waiting to be free from this world since the day I met him. When COVID came, my mother got it. My sister called me one day. She said, um, have you talked to our mother? <laughs> I love those kind that start that way. I said, I have not talked to our mother today. She said, when was the last time you talked to her? I said, actually, two days ago. How'd she sound? I said, tired. She said, tired? She's got the great COVID. I said, well, she didn't tell her, brother. She said, no, she won't tell nobody. But can you call your doctor friend and get a televisit set up with him? I said, I sure can. Sure enough, the good woman had the great corona. It done run up in there and sat right down on her, and she had a solid case of it. I said, Mama. Now, I don't know how y'all say In Arkansas, it's Mama. I said, Mama. What's up? <coughs> She's 80 years old at that point, 81 or two, something. I said, have you got the great corona? What's that? I said, it's COVID. Oh, yeah. I, well, they said I did. Your friend called me that doctor, and he said I did. I said, did he call you in some antibiotics? Yeah. I'm trying to be a compassionate son, Sister Lewis. I'm, I'm trying to help my mama. Done call my little doctor buddy. I said, Mama, are you nervous at all? I'm trying to be sympathetic. She is ancient of days old. Alone. I'm trying to be the strong son. Mama, are you a little nervous about this? About what? She said somewhat indignantly. I said, you got corona. Well, I know that. Well, are you nervous about having the great COVID? What's to be nervous about? I said, Mama, are you going to make me break it on down for you? They say people of a certain age, your age, have a higher likelihood and susceptibility of dying. She said, well, why should I be worried about that? She said, I'm not ready to leave anybody anywhere. I'm ready to go somewhere. <laughs> well, great day in the morning. I'm losing my argument now. She said, Scott, I've been living to go to heaven since the day I met him. And if he wants to take me out in a vehicle called COVID, I do not care. I don't care if I cough to death right now on this phone. I'm going to wake up in eternity with him. I'm not afraid of being sick, and I'm not afraid of dying. I want to go there. And, and the impact of that, it hit me then, but it didn't really set. I don't know if it's still settled in or not. Because the enemy will sit down in the hotel room with me because a little chest pain somewhere or my side hurts. Oh, that little pain over here the other night, I, I guess it's just a fat roll got out of place or something, and I had a little stretch or something. I had a little pain. And, and the thought that come, y'all bear with me. Some of y'all, you thick too, you've had it too. And, and I thought, oh dear God, I may be having an appendix rupture right here now in this hotel. I've self-diagnosed myself with every disease known to mankind. I don't even know where my appendix is. I guess I got one. I think everybody's got one. But somebody told me it's down on your right side if you got that and then uh, then I had pain over here, and I thought, oh, dear God, that's a kidney stone. I ain't never had a kidney stone, never had no truck with no kidney stone. And I heard somebody talk about pain in the left side and that kidney down in your hip. 
probably arthritis, but I diagnosed myself with a kidney stone just right in the middle of the great Hilton Garden Inn. Just what in the world? I'm crossing over right here in this hotel, and ain't nobody going to know where I'm at for three days. Stay with me, Mother. What in the wide world is And then I thought, what in the wide world is wrong with you? Mama is 80-something years old, almost hoping she gets a good solid case of the great COVID. Why? Because she hates this world, and she loves that one. She's in love with a place she ain't never been. You know what, Sister Lewis? I'm not sure that my conversion is fully complete yet. I'm in love with the idea of heaven. But I don't know, Brother Uzel, if I'm quite as in love with heaven as Mama is. But I'm working on realigning my priorities. <laughs> I hope he does come while I'm alive. Because I want to see that deal. You hear me? I don't want him to have to wake me up in the grave somewhere and break me out of something. I want to be looking for this thing. The world's circumstance. So who's playing the piano? You're right there, aren't you? Just something real soft and melodious, and they'll think we're almost done. <clears throat> and I'm going to land the plane here just directly. Something. I, I've still got my Edward Jones, brother. I, I'm, I'm faithful. It's just an automatic draft every week. <laughs> because if I'm wrong and, and the Lord decides to tarry, I plan to live to be 101. And I want to be able to at least buy some floss for my dentures. And so I'm, I'm laying up yet a little investment along the way. Every week it just pulls it right out of that account. I'm still cutting my grass. Still trying to finish that blessed edition. Still got projects. The good woman informed me the other day that I need a flower bed right out there in the front yard. And I just threw both hands up. I said, praise the Lord. She said, what are you saying that for? I said, because I had one day a week I was going to be bored. And there was a chance that my, my idle mind would be the devil's workshop. And now you have saved me and ensured I'm going to be saved. A good wife's hard to beat. You know that. That woman's going to help me make it to heaven. Because at some point in time, it's going to be, God, I cannot take another fly. I love them. But if there's one more spot. Oh this spring guess what we're going to build and by we me raised garden beds we're not just going to plant some junk in a box either oh no we're going to have it going over cascading cucumbers like you know what they got them right down here at the little stand on the side of the highway what in the world Guess what? Saturday morning was available. Going to need something to do on Saturday. So I'm still, I'm still living here. I still wash my vehicle every day, every other day, whatever it is. Still pick up trash. Still going to the mailbox, getting the mail, and paying the bills. Because I am yet still a part of this world but I'm cutting loose from everything that makes me want to stay here I got family that I don't want to see 
I don't, I don't want them to go into eternity in the state they're in. I don't. But the scripture says that there's going to come a point that he has to hasten his return for the elect's sake. Those are going to be treacherous times. And I don't want me or Jennifer Lynn or Eliana Autumn Joy or Erica Peyton Grace or Malachi Douglas Scott I don't want us to be lost. I don't want mama to be lost after all these years. I no longer pray for her like I used to. When I was more selfish where she's concerned. Now don't don't write me off and say something hateful. Because I'm I'm not praying God take mama. My prayer for her when she's sick now is, Lord, I release her. If you're ready to take her, take her. If you're not, Give her the grace to go through whatever it is you want her to go through or heal her. But it's no longer, God, I can't live without my mama. God, I can't. Oh, I can. If I know she's there, I can live without mama. I can live without my kids. I pray for the Lord to keep them. But if the Lord has to take my children while they are yet young and saved, I can live without them here knowing they're waiting on me over there. What about the heartache and the grief? Oh, I can't even imagine it. I can't. I don't want to. I want us to go to heaven. I'm trying to look honestly at me and find out what's still in here that makes me pray, Lord, wait. Lord, don't don't come yet. I don't want to get that dead, Brother Burke. I don't, I don't, I don't want it there anymore. I, I, I don't want my ministry to be focused around, and I don't think God wants any of our ministries to be focused around your best life here and now. There's got to be something in us that changes, that a realization that the lost is right there, and they want what you and I already have. We just don't want them to have it as bad as they're looking for it. When my hunger for them to have what I have found gets to a point that I can't control it, I will talk about him to everybody. Well, don't you now? No. No, I get on planes all over the country, and I'm tired. Red-eye flights at night after all the church people have gone home and we still got to get home. Some of y'all will be in your pajamas before I can get across Arkansas State Line tonight. I drive through city, you do it. City after city after city. God, I hope there's a voice here. I hope someone here is calling for the lost. You get in a plane at night, you're looking out, you've all, if you've flown, you've done it. You're looking out that window and you see the lights and you go through places where it's just vast darkness and then all of a sudden the twinkling of lights. And I wonder almost every single time. I'm going to be real honest with y'all, okay? Can I just be just brutally honest? Brother Lewis, don't, don't hate me for this. Don't look down on me. But I have looked out of many, many planes at night and seeing the lights of the landscape and prayed under my breath 
or out loud or in my head. Lord, I hope there's a witness there and never say a word to the person in the seat beside me. I'm under conviction. I don't know about you. I'm under conviction. How many people do you run into on a daily basis, Brother Beecher, that don't know God? A lot. And if we looked at a percentage, all of us, it would be terrifying to realize how few of those unsaved people we see every single day that we actually say anything to. I have prayed for years, Brother Williams, when I get on planes, oh God, I'll get online and check my apps and see, has anybody bought the ticket beside me yet? I want a good seat and an empty one beside me because I'm going to be tired. It's an early flight or it's a late flight or it's whatever. And I don't want to have to talk to people I don't know. Somebody's going to have bad breath. Does that sound like a guy who's concerned about a lost and dying world? That's the equivalent of me being in a perfectly good 15-man boat, running that boat slowly through a crowd of dying humanity that are drowning and mad because people are in the way and I can't go faster. How can I say I care about the lost when I won't speak to the one that's lost right beside me? I love God. Do I? How do you say you love him whom you've not seen when you won't even show love to those you do see? Why, why am I not, Brother Burke, really, why am I not? Not y'all. y'all, y'all don't have this problem. Why am I not more willing to deny myself and reach for the lost? I, I don't know. Probably, though, Brother Williams, because the Lord was right. I thought he'd come after I died. I thought... I won't have to worry about all that rapture and pre-rapture and persecution and all that. It's going to happen after I die. It's not. I'm 55 and I am as convinced right now as I am I have on a watch that I will be alive when the rapture comes. And I'm aware that there is a desperation I'm still yet lacking for the lost. Stand with me. Here we are in what is mine and no doubt your, many of you, if not all of you, our favorite season. I love the holidays. You hear me? The lights, the sounds, the smells of Christmas. I don't even know how many trees my wife's got put up this year. All I know is Branson don't have much on us. Christmas tree and every room in our house big enough to hold one. got plans for that addition. How many are we going to put out there? She loves the holidays. I do too. Alexa's playing Christmas songs in the kitchen and the dining room. And oh, we just like a little Christmas. But the greatest gift that anybody I know could ever get 
ese hombre I'm buying gifts well I'm paying for them the good woman's buying them and I wonder I wonder it's just me y'all pray for me but I wonder if it's possible that I could give someone the gift of him in this season I wonder if there's just some way that I could talk to somebody about him. Can I, can I stop being so busy that I could start teaching Bible studies? Anybody in here got a Bible study going with somebody right now? Hold your hand up. One. One. So don't argue with what I've told you. Because everybody in here knows somebody that needs a Bible study. Anybody in here that you're doing your best to be a Bible study for someone? Hold your hand up. Your epistles, that's all of us. Your epistles known and read of all men. Your life is a witness. Live it boldly. Live it with conviction. Live it out loud. Let the enemy know. Let your neighbors know. I know. Come around the front with me for a minute. Why is the world getting worse, Brother Shelton? Because we got to pray something different. <clears throat> you keep teaching that Bible study. My wife and I have been privileged for the last three years to kind of got snookered into the job um, but the couple that had been doing the hyphen class he felt to step away from it and Brother Sullivan and my other buddy were talking about it and trying to figure out what in the wide world are we going to do and I said I just felt compelled to say it I said well I'll tell you what I'll, I'll, my wife and I'll deal with the hyphen stuff on an interim basis until you can find somebody to do it. Because he kept saying, we have nobody. We're not, I don't know what we're going to do. And I said, well, Jennifer and I will do it. Just y'all find somebody and, and send them to me and we'll get them ready and acclimated to it. And he patted me on the arm as he walked off and said, thank God and enjoy your class. <laughs> well, I don't know what happened, but word got out that I had somehow been given that responsibility and only five showed up on the first night I don't know what that meant but <clears throat> I talk to them about stuff like this all the time and in that time frame those hyphen people have gotten I, I, they've gotten to a place of boldness and desperation that I can't even explain and we went from five in that room the first night to every Wednesday night, it's anywhere from 40 to 46 people. And multiples of them are teaching Bible studies to other hyphen people on their job and hyphen age kids at the college and whatever. <clears throat> because there's somehow a, a revelation that they've gotten. This isn't about us. This, this isn't just about reaching for somebody else while I'm in the process of being saved myself. I want to take somebody with me. I want you to just lift your hands here just a moment. We're going to pray. And I wonder if somehow we can pray, Lord, in these days to come,
Remember, we talk about the five wise and the five foolish virgins. They were all asleep. Lord, I may have my lamp trimmed. I may have oil in it. I may have all of this. But Lord, if you see that I am somehow, in some way, asleep, would you stir me? Would you lift your hands and just begin to pray it? Lord, if, if, if in any way you see I'm asleep, Lord, would you stir me? Lord, this is a church full of wonderful, apostolic, godly people that they love you. But Lord, all of us are aware, we are all aware, I'm aware that I, I can go to sleep if I'm not careful. I can get comfortable with what is the norm and I can be lulled to sleep by, come on, you, you've got to pray for yourself. Lord, it's not a matter of us being sinful, it's not a matter of us being terrible people, but sometimes, just like all of those that night waiting on the groom, we can all go to sleep. Lord, I don't want to just have oil in the lamp and the wick to be trimmed, but I want to be awake. I want to be looking for your return. And while I'm being prepared for your return, lead me to somebody else that wants to know you. Lead me to somebody that wants to be saved and help me be aware of my own people that are already in the kingdom and that I don't let them be lost in the process of all of this. Lord, stir us up. Stir us up in these holiday times and stir us up in this season that we're in and help us to remember that baby in a manger and that it was all about the day that would come and that is surely upon us now that you're going to return for your bride and you're going to take us home. Lord, stir us up. Wake us up in the middle of the night with a burden. Wake us up in the middle of the day with a passion for our neighborhood and our street to pick a phone up and call a neighbor or a family member and remind them ever so firmly and gently that Jesus loves them. Lord, eternity's coming. I wonder if you could just keep praying for another two or three minutes. Eternity's coming. Lord, I, I don't want to be caught unawares. I don't want to be caught with this self-preservation mentality that I personally have had for a while. Lord, I, I am thankful that you have woke me up lately to the fact that I have somehow or another convinced myself that I'm there. Lord, I'm thankful that you're realigning my priorities. I'm thankful that you're stirring me up and that you're allowing conviction to come to me and, and get me back on track and back in alignment with your will and your purpose. Lord, don't let me faint in this last day. Don't let me grow weary in this last day. Here we are so close to what we've all been trying to achieve, which is to be with you in eternity. Don't let me be lost now. Don't let me be lost now. Don't, don't let us have carried the banner for so long and then lose it here now and be lost for all eternity without you. Would you just thank him now for loving us enough to just speak to us one more time and remind us? He's been so gentle with us. Lord, thank you. Lord, I thank you.